If you're newer, or if you haven't been here in a while, we've been going through the book of Matthew, hearing about the good news kingdom that Jesus has brought to us. And so today we're going to be in Matthew 2, which you can turn there now in your Bibles or on your devices. That's where we're going to be. We're coming to the very end of Matthew's kind of introductory section to his whole book. So over these last three weeks, we've looked at the genealogy of Jesus, seeing how his story is tied into the Old Testament. We've been looking at the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin and what that means for us. Last week, we looked at these wise men who traveled from really far to come and see Jesus. And so today, we're going to come to the next section, which is the birth of Jesus and his escape to Egypt. And so, as we've been going through Matthew, exploring the realities of Advent, one thing that we really don't want to miss is that the power of Christmas, the power of Advent, the power of this season is not just found in focusing on family and mirth and enjoyment and hot cocoa and all these cozy things. Because the real power of Advent is that it happens in the dark. The real power of Advent is that it happens in darkness. Despite the usual hype of what Christmas is about, it only makes sense if you pause to wrestle with the darkness. Often people think that Christmas is about a baby boy being born who will one day come to rule the world, and how amazing is that? But that's not at all what Christmas is about, because when this baby boy is born, people wanted to kill him. People didn't want to celebrate him. King Herod, as we will see today, felt so threatened by the birth of this baby that he had all the babies in the area killed. That's dark. That's really heavy darkness. So this morning, as we go to read this passage in just a second, I'm going to have Louie come up. Louie's going to read for us. And I want all of us, adults, moms, dad, teens, kids here, I want you to think about this. Why was Herod so mad about this baby being born? Why was he so upset? Why was he so threatened by this king? that was being born. So, Louis, why don't you come up? All right. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity, who were two years old and under, and in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in, R- in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Thank you. You can hand it, Scott. Thank you, Louie. Let's pray before we jump into this anymore. Jesus, we do pray and ask for your help right now as we dig into this, what seems to be a very confusing, complicated section of Scripture. Um, A lot of whys come into our mind. Even as we wrestle with the darkness that we might be feeling at the end of this Christmas season, at the end of 2020, at the end of struggles and series of 
periods of longing that maybe we felt, Jesus, we do pray that this morning that we would feel and experience the power of you breaking into the darkness in our souls, the, the darkness in this world. So we ask for your help now. I ask for your help, Jesus. Pray that you by your spirit would be with us as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the story that we just heard read is anything but a light-hearted story of mirth and joy and Christmas cheer. We just read a story of horror. Little baby boys being ruthlessly slaughtered by a tyrannical king. A young mother and father having to escape in the night to become immigrants and to flee to a new country. Having to disappear in the night while others all around them are being killed. And then, at the very end of this passage, there's this almost eerie prophetic cry that would seem to say, well, this had to happen this way. It had to go like this seems to say that this devastation had already been foretold before it even happened. For me, the why questions are really obvious. Why? Why would Herod do this? Why would God have the birth of his son go down in this way? Well, before we jump into answering the why, which we are going to look at, we have to understand what Matthew is doing. We have to understand that Matthew is intentionally directing our gaze to the Old Testament. He's intentionally showing us this Jesus is a continued narrative of what the story of what God has been doing in the world. Matthew sees his own writing as so parallel to what the Old Testament is doing that that's why he's describing it in this way. So, before we get to the why, let's remind ourselves of how Matthew 2 is directly connected in the flow of the Old Testament story. If we were to jump back and examine the details of what we just heard read. Basically, the summary of what we just heard is that there's this announcement of a baby boy. A king is so threatened by this baby boy that he kills an entire village of boys. And depending on how well you know the Old Testament, does that story sound familiar? Think, put on your Old Testament brains. Think about a story where a king is so threatened that he has a bunch of babies killed who he sees as a threat. Think back to the book of Exodus. That's where Matthew's going. That's where he wants us to go. The people of God who have been promised a new land, who have been promised descendants, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this growing multitude of God's people, the ones who are going to show the world what Yahweh, the true king, is like, where do they find themselves? in slavery, in bondage, with cruel taskmasters oppressing them, with a king who tries to squash them with slave labor and then tries to squash them by killing off a generation of their offspring. In the book of Exodus, as you read about Pharaoh, he's not just a bad dude. He's a direct correlation to the power of darkness and death and oppression almost a demonic type figure trying to suppress the people of God. I'm a total sucker for the movie Prince of Egypt. Does anybody like that movie? I was just telling some of the folks here setting up earlier that we should make this movie a Christmas movie because it so parallels the life and birth of Jesus. Do you guys remember that scene where the 
Hebrews are in bondage and they're being whipped and they're being forced to build these huge monuments to the glory of Pharaoh. And they sing this song, which I will read to you. Put yourself in the place of these people longing for deliverance. They say, with the sting of the whip on my shoulder, with the salt of my sweat on my brow, Elohim, God on high, can you hear your people cry? Help us now, this dark hour. Deliver us. Hear our call, deliver us. Lord of all, remember us here in this burning sand. Deliver us. There's a land you promised us. Deliver us to the promised land. And what does God do? He provides a deliverer. A little baby who what? Has to be hidden. Who has to be sent away. Who goes out into exile away from the people of God. And after a period of wandering in the desert, what does God call him to do? To go back and to lead the people on an exodus out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. So, think now back to Matthew 2. That is exactly what Matthew has in mind, that exodus story when he tells us about Jesus. We almost have to have those two stories side by side. We have to have the birth of Moses and the exodus on one side, but then realizing, wait a minute, Jesus is the true Moses. Jesus is the one who also was led out of Egypt on an exile and then came back in to lead an exodus. We have to have both of these pictures in mind when we think about this passage. This is because Moses, with his exile and exodus, that was also he could lead the people out. And Jesus, we see in this passage, also was put on an exile and an exodus to lead the people out. Moses had to escape from cruel Pharaoh, and Jesus had to escape from cruel King Herod. Do you see that connection? Do you see those parallels in those two stories? Moses leads God's people to a physical new creation, the land of Canaan, a land that was going to be full and prosperous for them. And Jesus says, I'm going to lead you to a new creation. I'm going to lead you to the true dwelling place of God and man. And that's why then if you look at the passage in Matthew 2, it quotes Hosea where he says, out of Egypt I called my son. This was originally talking about Israel, that God would call them up out of the land of Egypt. But Matthew is here saying, this is actually talking about Jesus. Jesus is the son who had to be led up out of Egypt because Jesus is the true Israel. So we see in this passage that Jesus is already fulfilling Israel's story. He's already showing that he's that true center of what Israel was always supposed to be as a people. He's the one who would truly bring that good news kingdom. But, ultimately, what are we supposed to get from this passage? We can see these connections. We see Jesus fulfilling the story. We see Jesus is the true Moses. We see that he himself went on exile and an exodus. But what is Matthew showing us? Where are we in the story? And ultimately, you should always ask this, why should we care? If you're ever hearing a preacher and you're going, why should I care? Then you might want to question, what's he actually saying? Why should we care about this? Well, first off, let's remember that we're the Gentiles. 
We are those who are outside of the story who have been brought in. Matthew is showing us that Jesus not only identifies with us in our suffering because he himself suffered, but his exodus and exile is our hope and confidence in the midst of our exodus and exile. Matthew's showing us that Jesus not only identifies with us through suffering, but his exodus and exile is our hope and confidence in the midst of our own exodus and exile. So let's talk about that. Jesus' exile and exodus and our own seasons of exile and exodus. As we go to think about this, Think about those last couple of verses we just heard read. Look down back at the passage. Verses 17 and 18. We can't escape this, though we might want to. This prophetic cry, this lament, this allusion to a weeping mother who's inconsolable at the loss of her children. This is a quote from Jeremiah 31. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, we're going to look at that passage real quick as we think about our own exile and exodus. In Matthew 2, it says in verses 17 and 18, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is where Matthew goes directly after talking about all the baby boys being killed in Bethlehem. And this is referring to, who's this Rachel? being talked about. It's Rachel who was considered the mother of the nation of Israel. That's who Rachel was. And Jeremiah here is referring to that reality that Israel, in the midst of their disobedience, in the midst of their failing, they were led out of the promised land to an exile, to a season of being cast out of God's land. And Rachel is weeping over the loss of her children. So Rachel is symbolically here shown to be weeping over the nation of Israel. And Matthew is using this imagery in this prophecy of Jeremiah because he's here saying that prophecy is fulfilled. And it's fulfilled because ultimately Jeremiah 31 is not just pointing to the reality of weeping. It's pointing us to the reality of where the weeping was going to lead. Matthew is showing us that the time for weeping is now beginning to be over. The time for exile is now beginning to be over. Because if you're in Jeremiah, everybody in Jeremiah 31, if you jump to verses 16 and 17 in Jeremiah 31, after talking about the weeping over the nation, the Lord says, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. And again, we have to remember that this is not just, oh, cool, I get to go back to my land. This is saying the exile of God's people is over. Jump to verses 31 and 34, a couple verses down. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Major allusion there to the Exodus and to Moses again connecting us there. Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
So here is now Jeremiah talking about what is going to happen on that day when the exile is over. He says, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will each teach their neighbor or say to, no, excuse me, say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Just so you know, that is a statement that your sins are forgiven, which is amazing, but that's also a major statement that the real exodus is over. The exodus of God's people, the being led out of the land of slavery and death and fear and oppression. When wickedness is forgiven and sins are no longer remembered, that exodus is over. So Matthew is showing us, even here at the beginning section of this newborn king being born and there's weeping and there's darkness around him, he is showing us that this new exodus is happening right now. Jeremiah 31 that God's people had been looking to and longing for that day when that covenant wouldn't be here, when we'd all know our God together, he's saying, yeah, that's taking place right now. Jeremiah 31 is unfolding in front of your eyes. And this is because Jesus' exile and exodus takes on our own exile and exodus. It is merged directly into ours. Friends, we sit here on Sunday, December 27th, 2020. This has been a somewhat hard year. More for some than for others. Has this year felt like exile? Think about exile. Being cast out of what you know, being cast away from what is familiar, living in a land where everyone looks like a foreigner. Living in a land where you can't, again, you want to do these things safely, you can't really sit with your friends like you used to. Does this year feel like desert wandering? Enjoying the company of young and old together? Simple pleasures like going to see a movie? not having to wear a mask, not having to worry about your job or your family's job or your health or your family's health, not having to worry about getting together with your family and, oh, somebody has a tickle in their throat, should they come or not? Not worried about unknown disease. Friends, this year has felt like exile, that we've been cast out of what we know for some of us, it's been harder than others. For some of us, this has been a, again, I'm, I'm a pastor. I talk to a lot of people. This has been a year of increased depression, unparalleled anxiety, extreme financial hardship for many people, relationships being strained and severed. I'm not even talking about politics yet. I'm not going to. Tons of suffering and death. And so think about this. Are you ready for an exodus? Are you ready to be led out of 2020? I know I am. 
Are you waiting? Like the song that I quoted at the beginning from the Prince of Egypt, the final long of that song is they're waiting for a shepherd to come and shepherd, to shepherd them out of the land of slavery. Where do you think Exodus is going to come for you? As you think about the hardships of this year, and you think about, I'm in this exile wandering, I feel like life is a desert wasteland. Well, how's the exodus going to come? What is going to lead you out of the pain of this year? Is it a vaccine? Is exodus found in a vaccine? Is exodus found in health? Is exodus found in the economy straightening out? Is exodus found in just going back to the old days? Friends, this is where the power of Matthew's narrative speaks directly to where we are right now. As we anticipate stepping into a new year in just a couple days, a year that, to be honest, isn't necessarily offering a ton of really great hope for us yet. Where will we put our hope for Exodus? Where will we put our confidence? Where are we going to bank our confidence that we will be fine in 2021? Redemption Church, the exodus has already started. The exodus has already begun. Jesus himself has already come and grabbed us in the midst of our wandering and said, I'm taking you on this exodus with me. We know that the exodus has begun because Jesus' own life, his own exile, was not void of the Father's hand. So when we want proof that our wandering of 2020 is not lost on the Father, Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, and there you see proof positive that whenever the Father leads into exile, he always is going to lead out on an exodus. This doesn't erase our pain, but it infuses our pain with hope. It infuses our pain with hopeful longing because whenever we remember any pain that we've had to walk through, we can know that it is already being made right. It is already being made new because right now the Holy Spirit, guys, is doing things in your life and in your world that you can't even imagine yet. He is doing things in your soul. He is renewing things about you that you aren't even aware of yet. The reality is, can you see it? Probably not. But let me ask you, do you think the Israelites saw it? Do you think Moses saw it? Do you think Mary and Joseph in their frantic, horrified state as they're sneaking their child out of Bethlehem, potentially even hearing those wails that it was talking about, the wails of Rachel symbolically pointing to the mothers of Bethlehem, as they're sneaking their baby away, do you think they saw it? Do you think they saw this new work that God was doing? No, they didn't. But friends, in our own wandering in exile. Who is with us? The God who said, I'm with you. And actually better than that, call me, I am with you. Call me, Emmanuel. Not just one with you, but one for you. This future king was going to be one for his people. So think about all the pain that you've walked through. Emmanuel is one with you. 
in the relationships that have been really painful this year. Emmanuel is one with you in the relational longings that you feel. Emmanuel is one with you. Parents, as you seek to lead and protect your kids and you don't know if you're doing the right things or not, Emmanuel is with you. For those of you who are longing to be married, to find a spouse, for those of you longing for your marriage to be better, Emmanuel is one with you in that. For those of you who labor in really difficult industries right now, thinking particularly of like teachers, people who are in the healthcare world, people who have to be on the front lines all the time, Emmanuel is with you. He's with you in that. He is with you where the pain is. To the one, to those of you wandering in a loss of faith, to those of you wandering in a loss of feelings, a loss of hope, think about this. Emmanuel has wandered those same deserts. He knows what it's like to feel in an exile from the Father. He knows what it is like to feel like you are cast out away from joy and intimacy with the Father. And the crazy thing is, he is already excavating out of the ruins of your life the new things that he's going to do. It's often in the scattered ruins of our precious plans that God begins to do the work that only he can do. It's often in the scattered ruins, the burned, charred remains of our plans, what we thought life was going to be. That's often where God begins to pick things up and build a new thing. This is what he does with our exile. Because Jesus himself underwent an exile so he could lead us out. So today, if you are fighting to believe in Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, then the narrative and arc of your life, it's already secure. It's already written. And you are free from the need to figure out who's going to fight on your behalf. Who's going to fight for your joy? Who's going to fight for your marriage? Who's going to fight for your health? Who is going to preserve you when it seems no one else is going to? You are free because you have one who's already done that. And when you realize you are free, as we go to close here, free people can surrender. Think about this. If you are free from needing to fight to preserve your own good, that means that you can surrender and submit to this newborn king whose name is Emmanuel. We can surrender all of what 2020 has meant or has been to the one who is one with us. And again, remember at the beginning, we talked about King Herod. King Herod didn't want to surrender. King Herod, his kingdom was so threatened that he committed those acts. To him, they probably weren't vicious acts. They were needed to protect his kingdom. Do you see the connection there at all? To how we ourselves often feel the need to protect our kingdoms. And we will do violence when our kingdoms feel threatened. Because in one sense, Herod was right. Because Jesus was a threat. 
Jesus was going to be a threat to Herod's kingdom because he was bringing a new kingdom that Herod couldn't imagine. So, where today, in the joy of seeing this one who is for us and who is with us, where can we surrender today? Where can we surrender the kingdoms we've been trying to build but that maybe have just been leveled this year? Which kingdoms in your heart have been destroyed this year? And when we say this surrender, all I mean is it is repentance and faith in the beauty and good news of Jesus. Where can we repent again today of where we've been looking for good news, the idols that we just talked about with our kids, where we've been looking for those things to bring us joy, and 2020 has just wrecked it. Where can we repent and believe again in truly good news? Just want to ask you, where have your kingdoms this year of comfort, protection, security, all been threatened, and where have you fought God? Where have you fought God for control? Has God seemed cruel? Do you often think, God, you're just a real, say, jerk? It does seem at times that God is cruel, but only when it's our kingdom being threatened. Only when we are so violently trying to preserve something and God is gently saying, nope, I want to lovingly open your hand and bring you a kingdom beyond what you could even imagine. What if we realize that all the areas that Jesus seems to be threatening our kingdoms are actually for our real good? We would be free people to surrender. Because 2020 has our preservation in mind. Think about that. No one in the world's going to say that. The Spirit was preserving us, church. He was preserving you this year. So we're going to close by singing a song called Lead Us Back. A song that calls us into a place of examination and reflection, but not to groveling. Not to just thinking about how sick and terrible we are. We know that. We're aware of that. We're aware of our failings and our shortcomings and maybe all the kingdoms that we've been trying to build. But this song's going to call us to realize that our failed and broken kingdoms point us to Jesus. And when we're free, we're actually able to then lift our eyes and hearts to those who don't have anybody to fight for them, to those who still are far off wandering in exile. The beauty of Advent is that we realize God himself has brought us out of exile so that we can go to those who still are in exile and offer them where this true exodus has been found. So, in just a second, Jan is going to come up and begin to play, and I would love for us to just take a minute and think about where in this freedom am I now being called to go? Who is the Spirit calling me to go towards? If I realize that my season of exile is already coming to an end because of Jesus, where am I going to be called to go? Who is the Spirit going to call me to go towards? Let's close in prayer, and then we'll sing. Jesus, we do thank you that your own season of being cast out from your land and then brought back in 
is not just some theological factoid that we hang on to, but that is the true good news when our lives feel like endless exile. Jesus, as we think about the ending of one year and the beginning of another, we don't want to go anywhere without your Spirit with us, Jesus. We don't want to go anywhere that would take our eyes off of the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, you are the author and perfecter of our faith because you yourself entered our pain. You yourself entered our longings, our griefs, our joys, our highs and our lows. And so Jesus, would we now, with open hands, surrender to you? The things that we are angry about, the things that we are hurt and grieving about, the plans that we had laid out for our life, even good plans that seem to just be washed away in a flood of chaos. Jesus, show us that you are leading us back. You're leading us back to the place where we realize you've always been about my preservation. You have always been with me. I have not always seen it, Jesus. I have been angry. I have been anxious, but you are the one who has said, Nate, I'm with you. Redemption Church, I'm with you. Moms and dads, I'm with you. Teenagers, in the longings and desires of your heart, I am with you. Adults, those in difficult jobs, I'm with you. And I'm going with you into this new year. It will not be a year. where we will wander in caves because we will see that our King is with us. So Jesus, we pray even now as we go to sing the song that you would continue to show us what it means to be a surrendered people so that our King Jesus would be lifted high. It's in his name we pray, amen.